0: I'm going to ask Stephen to come and uh, give us the word. And I'm just going to pray for, for him as he comes. Father God, thank you for and thank you for his faithfulness to you. Thank you that he has prepared your word today. And we just ask Lord that you may bless him in the speaking and bless us in the hearing. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Well, interestingly, um, and as always seems to happen, that things really seem to run together, and what I want to speak on this morning um, I've actually called it the God um, who has revealed himself. To uh, and that seems uh, I had some of the worship that we were singing and uh, some of the prayers. So my first reading is from Exodus chapter 3. And I'm going to read just from verse 13 to verse 15. And this just carries on from where Moses had um, come across the, the burning bush and uh, God spoke to him out of the burning bush God was sending him. Um, to Egypt um, to speak to Pharaoh so that um, he would release the children of Israel Um, so verse 13 says (coughs) um, Moses said to God indeed when I come to the children of Israel and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they say to me what is his name what shall I say to them and God said to Moses I am who I am and he said, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, I am sent me to you. Moreover, God said to Moses, thus, you shall say to the children of Israel, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial to all generations. George Harrison uh, wrote a song. <coughs> one of the solos that he did called my sweet lord one of the uh, verses from that says i really want to know you lord but it takes so long mm-hmm. and there's two interesting points in that first of all lord is a very generic word and this was actually a multi-faith uh, song that he wrote that wasn't directed at the lord god that we know that was directed at whatever lord perhaps that you may want um to use but from our point of view, as Christians, God actually reveals himself. Um, and so we don't have this, as some religions do, where um, they have to meditate and uh, have various deaths and resurrections again, uh, you know, j- j- just so they can get to know God, because God says that he reveals himself. I in mean, Jeremiah 29, verse 13, God says, I will be found by you when you seek me with mm-hmm. all of your heart. Mm-hmm. So I think that is very, very key to actually finding and seeking God. Now, God speaks to us through his words, through his inerrant words, the Holy Bible. And the Bible is the revelation of who God is. But it also tells us who we are and where we're going. And the whole thrust of Scripture is to drive us to Christ Jesus. And so when Scripture speaks, God also speaks. And we know God because... His word. And knowing this, God, our longing should be to see God's face, not just what He can give us, not just to seek the gifts, but to see God's face. That should be our longing. So when God speaks of His word, we are called to proclaim God's word. We're never called to spin His word, we're never called to change it, we're never called to make it more comfortable to people. interesting what matt was saying uh, about how scripture shows people warts and all Um, and he did it very gently because the children were here of course but um, i think slightly more than that some people were bad i mean some people were absolutely ruthless and murderers and committed genocide and so the bible does actually show it all we must beware of not going into a liberal man-centered bible where we change things to make us feel comfortable and there's a chap called patrick morley he wrote a book or well, sorry, many books now, but he wrote a book that sold 10 million copies. And he's a Christian, and this book's um, addressed to men, and it's called The Man in the Mirror. And I've never actually read that, but I was looking um, at what he said, and Patrick Morley actually said this, quote, there's a God we want, and there's a God who is, and they are not the same God. <laughs> the turning point comes when we stop seeking the God we want and start seeking the God who is. Mm-hmm. So what would it be like if we were to actually encounter the living god what would change our view of scripture our view of god would it change our view at all and i believe that encountering god we feel joy and we feel fear and we feel delight and we feel awe and i've spoken before about the whole package of how god comes to us not just as a one-dimensional character so scripture, in my view, must hold a high place. We must never put ourselves above scripture. We must never look at situations and then compare it to the Bible and say, this is really difficult. I don't like what scripture is saying. And we start then to lean towards the ways of the world. Scripture must hold a very high place um, in our lives. And so we can know the God who reveals himself when we actually look into his word and a word of of warning i guess because there's a lot of difference between knowing god and knowing about god and lots and lots of professors and great people know so much about god they know so much about the bible they've dissected it lord knows they've done so much with it they know so much about god that doesn't necessarily mean that they know him now i've been watching Fairly recently, with my wife Jane and a friend, um, a series called The Crown. And I say belatedly because we're just on series one, so I've never seen it, so we're all a long, long way behind. And having watched this series, I know so much more about the Royal Family than I ever did. And yet I don't know them, and I never will. It's just knowing about people. They're as distant from me as they will always be. And so, I put down some headings about our God. His character and his attributes. And one of the things is that he is a personal God. God says that he's not distant. He's not far from each and every one of us that believe and are trusted in him. And so the reading from Exodus 3, it talks about this personal God. Now, names in the Old Testament were very, very important because they spoke of the character of the person. And to give someone your name was considered highly significant. Now, I don't know if you've spoken to, if you have Sky, um, when your contract comes up for renewal, if you speak to the chat there, or if you're actually insuring your car. Um, and quite often, um, there are people from abroad now that actually answer these. And the usual thing is, may I call you Stephen? And sometimes, I can't be bothered to argue and I say, yes, okay, that's fine. Sometimes I feel a bit stubborn and I say, no, Mr. Nuttall would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> because that's personal to me and these people don't know me. And it's a marketing boy sometimes to try mm-hmm. to get to know me. And so I sometimes think they have a good cheek actually say go ahead and call me Stephen. And yet Moses turns to God and he says, who shall I say when I go to the pharaoh and speak about releasing the who shall say what he's saying is what's your name and god doesn't actually say okay my name is you my name is my name he actually says i am what i am now in hebrew that word is yahweh now the word yahweh in scripture in the old testament it is used 6800 times as the personal name of god and god says this is my name that i want to be remembered by for all generations. It's a memorial. This is forever. This is what I want to be known by. So God is being personal, he's telling us um, who he is. And Yahweh is used in every single book of scripture, with the exception of Song of Songs. And there are two others. If I can read my notes, <laughs> sometimes are a, a, a bit lacking, uh, Esther and Ecclesiastes. Every other book, the name of Yahweh is used. And there is also a short form of Yahweh that's used in Scripture, a hundred times in the Old Testament, and this form is Yah. Now, it's a bit like calling me Steve, which I don't like. Very, very few people call me Steve. (laughs) But it's used in Scripture of God, Yah. And you can see that repeated time and time again in that wonderful expression, Hallelujah, Mm -hmm. Glory to God. That is part of Yahweh. But also the prophets Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Zechariah, because they actually were bound to God, so they're actually they're carrying on that, that name of God. Now, interestingly, today if you've ever seen any Jewish writing, they won't use the name of God. They consider it it's so so sacred they cannot use it. And if you see them write God, they put a capital G, a little dash, and then they put a D because they don't want to write the name of God. Well. First, uh, when God revealed his name, they used it. The Jews actually used the name of God right up until the Babylonian exile. And then after that, something happened. And they made themselves distant from God. So here's God saying, this is who I am. I am a personal God. You know, come to me. Know my name. They actually distanced themselves from him. And it sort of reminds me now, when I was a police officer, there were people that I was quite friendly with. There were people sometimes on some occasions that would call me Stephen. But when I wanted to be distant from these people, when there were things that needed to be done and I actually needed to be a little bit more authoritarian, I was Sergeant Nuttall or I was Inspector Nuttall depending on what role that I was carrying at that time. And that put that distance. And this is sadly what has happened now. Um, with Jewish people and God, they've actually put that distance between themselves. And yet he says, I'm Yahweh, my personal name. Comes to me. Just an interesting footnote that Jesus actually said, before Abraham was, I am. And so people that say Jesus never claimed to be God, and you talk to people, you'll find that people who study the Bible, who's declaring his deity, saying I am. I am. And the second point is the holy God. 1 Peter 1.16, that I will very quickly read to you. so one peter I know it's in the book somewhere. <laughs> so 1 peter 1:16 1, says because it is written be holy for i am holy and so god isn't just declaring his holiness he's actually saying to us i'm holy therefore you be holy In Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 3, we have another expression of God's holiness. He said this, this is where um, Isaiah had this vision where he was standing, um, and he looked up, it says here, In the year that King Isaiah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high, and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And they heard him crying to one another, and they were saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door was shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. That's one of the few occasions when holy, holy, holy is used three times to really emphasize the holiness of God, because there is nothing quite like our God. He's without fault. He's without sin, and he's without defect. He's totally holy. He hates sin, and he's incapable of any error. And that is why the sacrificial system was brought in in the Old Testament. It was introduced to show not only God's mercy, but also to show the seriousness of sin. And I guess that sin, sometimes we do minimize it. And I guess we tend to think that our sin is not too serious we uh, to compare it with other people, which is always a dangerous thing to do um but god is telling us that sin is very very serious i don't usually quote catholic monks but there's a particular one who uh, died in the 1100s um this is ad 1108 Ansel, and so when he said this quote you have not considered how weighty sin is end quote low views of sin tends to breed a tepid view of the gospel and we tend not to take it as seriously as we should and this is much the view of many of uh, the modern churches now that are leaning very much towards that liberal view third point he is a merciful god jesus is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world that says in 1 peter 19 and god's mercy has been extended to all of his people i always remember that um from john where john the Baptist there he looks up and he says this is the lamb of god who takes away the sin of the world And he sees jesus you know wonderful words and that's when he he sort of says i'm not even worthy to untie his sandals you know this is the god that we talk about and so often when we speak of god and it was lovely to hear the holy spirit and jesus and god mentioned in the prayers this morning because they are a unit they are a family and so often the holy spirit i think and i want to speak on him at some stage is almost like the neglected part Of the trinity we talk about let's be filled with the holy spirit he's god in his own right and that's something i would really like to uh, develop at some stage and so god is a merciful god and hence jesus the lamb of god that was slain And when you think about how in the old testament where the sacrificial system was brought in that was absolutely horrendous and we tend to sometimes look at that as not being particularly awful but when you think of thousands of lambs and bulls and other animals that were slaughtered. It must have been like a carnage in in, in these places where it would have been awful, there would have been blood everywhere. A dreadful, awful thing. And as I've been reading through a lot of the Old Testament recently and looking at the sacrificial system, I've just really been shocked as how awful that must have been. Um, And of course that was to show how awful sin was in God's eyes. Is also a just god and this means justice or fairness uh, one of the things of course is that the justice of god is perhaps not the justice that we would expect so the justice we want immediately um, and the way that we would look on it um, this is why uh, jesus had to say like an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth because trying to bring things back and that didn't mean literally an eye for an eye or a tooth, for a tooth. It was trying to bring some proportionality um, you know into uh, the offenses and the crimes that were being um, committed uh, in those days. And God is also righteous and again our view of righteousness isn't the same of God. I mean we can very much criticize God. I mean how dare he just choose certain people um, that have come to him and they're going to be Christians? And we talk about saved and unsaved. How awful is that? How dare he just have the Jewish people? They were his people, the, the, the apple of his eye, they were ones that he chose. and before um, the advent of Christ uh, and then we became grafted into the roots so that we also um, could approach this God. We were outside the camp, there were the Jews and they were God's people and they they would have been um, part of that salvation. We would have been totally outside the camp. And so when we look at what God chooses and what God wants, sometimes it's different um, from what we want and what we consider. He's also a just God. He will tolerate no rival and he hates any form of idolatry. And he's also jealous for his people. That's us. He's jealous for us. Um, And in the book of James, he actually says so, James chapter 4, verse 5, and he says, I'll start just before that, where it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or well, do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. So God is jealous for his people. He wants us to be what he wants us to be, not what we want to be. And he's a faithful God. that he will never leave us. And he will never forsake us. He will supply all our needs. And he makes a way to escape in times of temptation, and quite often things come into our lives that are just awful, and things that we shouldn't be doing, things we shouldn't be saying, things we shouldn't be thinking, but God provides a way of escape, but it means that we have to, and repentance means to to turn, to flee, to run, and sometimes I think if you get too far into a particular area, it's very hard to extricate yourself from it, so the time to leave is when you actually start to think things, when you start to do things, because God gives us that, and he gives us way of escape. He's also a truthful God. And he requires truth from us. In our dealings with him. And of course the thing is. We can't hide from God. Can we? we can't think it, anything. Or say anything. Or do anything. That God doesn't know. Even if perhaps we think. He's you know, probably a bit busy at the moment. Especially with what's going on in the world. So and, you know, We can do these things. And He and won't know. But he does. Um, and there's a, um, a, a psalm. I'm sorry, uh, uh, a scripture that I've actually got in in my room where I do my my reading actually says, it's old um, terminology I know, actually says, thou God seest me. Mm. And that's so true. And I think if sometimes what we're doing in life, when we're interacting with people, when we're speaking, whatever we're doing, if we have in our mind, God knows, God is watching us. I think that helps to a great extent. And... Again, like all things, that mustn't go to excess. We don't want to always think, God should do all the time, and you know he's like this oppressive God who's just looking down, waiting for us to put a foot wrong. And nothing could be further from the truth. But sometimes I think it's helpful to remember that there's nothing we can do or say um, that God doesn't know about. And so God is eternal, He's unchangeable, He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and invisible all of those, and you might say it's easy for you to say that yes it's a struggle sometimes they get all these the alliteration of the elements as you say you're quite right and he's incomprehensible it cannot be fully understood by us if we could fully understand god we would have the mind of god and we doesn't have that and he's the creator his redeemer spirit savior holy one king and he's the father and so we might rightly concede as some of the prayers again said this morning that the god of the bible is a god of glory and the glory of god is in the total sum of his character and we learn this from god's word so when god reveals himself when i first started to to put some of this together i thought perhaps it's like the god who speaks if god were to speak what would he say to us well god does speak and you know he says so much through so his worthy so would he tell us about the creation of the world? Would he tell us how he put it together? Would he tell us about the first people that he brought in, our first parents, Adam and Eve? And then onto the darker side and the murder, the first homicide um, when um, Abel was slain by Cain. Of course, there were no police or anyone in those days, but don't know, um, there weren't that many people on the earth, so it was probably a <laughs> relatively easy way to track down those days. And then, as mentioned this morning, again came Noah and the flood. The sin of the world got so bad that God decided it was time to, to you know, wipe out the um the, the evil and actually to, to start again, which he did. Um and so there was Noah and the flood intended the patriarchs, um, call of Abraham that came out again about leaving his land, going to a place that he didn't know. Uh, and then we're talking about the journey from Egypt to Canaan and the crossing of the Red Sea, the judges. The united kingdom and not this united kingdom we talk about uh, judah and we're talking about israel And uh, then it was the disunited kingdom as they came apart and there were wars and then there was peace and more wars and more killing and more fighting and then there was a period of peace again but then there was the exile because the people didn't um, do what god was telling them to do when you read through the bible and i would encourage you if you, you do get the opportunity from genesis through to revelation and not necessarily book after book after book it does paint this picture and sometimes you despair and certainly kings that like matt was talking about these kings you would have thought at some stage they saw what happened to kings that were obedient and they prospered and the kingdoms grew and they saw what happened to the kings that weren't when they were invaded i mean god allowed people to invade them to bring them Hill, um, if I can use that expression, so he could show his displeasure. And he spoke through his prophets, Jeremiah and Isaiah. Uh, and it got to a point where things were so bad that they went into exile when they went into Babylon. And I think not last Sunday, the Sunday before, Nick was talking about harps and um, worship. And now we're talking about harps falling into the ground. And I even thought then that about they hung their harps, didn't they, on the trees when they were exiled. And they actually said, How can we sing the Lord's song? in a strange land, um, I would have thought that's probably the place to sing it, because if you're down and you're despairing, again, my heart was touched by the Ukrainians, you just saw them in their hundreds, kneeling and praying to God, um, and it was their land, but it had become a strange land um, with, with, with the Russians that had been bombing and killing and, and, and the slaughter. Uh, and then, we come up to the end of the Old Testament and Malachi, and then there was that period of silence for 400 years and God didn't speak. There was nothing. And then, the most amazing, the most wonderful thing, Jesus. The life of Christ from his birth and into his death, his resurrection. The early church, that was the age of martyrdom. And again, uh, uh, interesting matt was talking about hebrews 11 that's one of the chapters uh, that i had looked at as well and i sometimes think how pathetic my faith and my christianity is compared to those um you know from that age of persecution the, the, the blood of the martyrs is, is the seed of the church is a famous uh, expression and i do wonder where would we stand today if we were being persecuted would we still all gather together, would we still speak the name of Christ, would we still stand strong, would we actually start to not come to church, not speak of Christ, and already as many of you know it's very difficult to speak of Jesus in many, many circumstances and many situations, and the Hebrews chapter that I very much liked, again, was from Hebrews 11. But this is where um, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were in seven days. By faith the heart of Rahab did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received spies with peace. And this is when she, um, the spies went actually into the land there and she actually saved their lives and, and, and that and interesting uh, Rahab is actually in, in the line of Jesus um, at, at some stage which I find most incredible and what more shall I say <clears throat> the time you failed me to tell of Gideon and Barak, Samson, uh, Jephthah and also David and Samuel the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, Turned to flight, the armies of the aliens that we were talking about this morning. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still, others had trial of mockings and scourgings, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. And the world was not worthy of them i just find that absolutely incredible you know the faith and the strength of, of these people and sometimes i feel that my faith is not what it should be when i read of these great people and what they say and what, what they did and so i guess as christians we need to trust scripture we need to look what God has revealed himself, his name, he's a personal God, the attributes of God from his holiness and his justice and his righteousness and his mercy and all of those things. Because if we don't trust the Bible, if we don't trust scripture, if we don't read it. When our faith is tested, where do we go? And that's when I feel that people fall away from the faith because they don't have those roots. When you put your roots down, That is for the future. When you put your roots down into God's word, into scripture, and you have that understanding, that knowledge of this personal God who just wants to know you, welcomes, brings you in. Then when times get rough and times get hard, you have something, someone to hold on to. Because God is not an it. God is a person, as is the Holy Spirit and of course Christ. A great writer called A.W. Tozer, who I follow quite a lot, uh, wrote this. And it's slightly quaint because he did live in a, a different age. He said, well, it is not to be wondered at. A real Christian is an odd number anyway. <laughs> he feels supreme love for one he has never seen. He talks familiarly every day to someone he cannot see, expects to go to heaven on the virtue of another, emptying himself in order to be full. admits he is wrong so he can be declared right, goes down in order to get up, The strongest when he's weakest, richest when he's poorest and happiest when he feels worse. He dies so that he can live, forsakes in order to have, gives away so he can keep, sees the invisible, hears the inaudible, and knows that which passes all understanding. Great description of a Christian, but the world would look at that and think that's totally crazy. But of course, the kingdom of God is the upside down kingdom, as it's always been called. So... I'll finish with that quote they gave from Patrick Morley. That there's a God we want, and there's a God who is. And the God who is is the God who has revealed himself in Scripture. And so those that want to know God will know God, because God is there for those that want to know him. So my prayer is that all of us will seek God more in these really difficult times when... We don't know what's going to happen in the world i mean i'm old enough and there are many others here as well to remember the um the, the missile crisis um you know of many years back and that was a really worrying time and are we on the verge of that we don't know but we live in hope and we have a hope we have a living hope and um, that's why it's time i believe to get our roots down the god who is not the god that we want the one that actually says i am who i am yahweh come in welcome you're mine mm <laughs>